0: Welcome to the false neutral podcast this is episode 117 for october of 2021 i'm pete garrett and eric are with me as always how you doing guys
1: oh not too bad
0: grinding along this is probably going to be the last episode that is going to be uploaded to our current podcasting provider which is shout engine Shout Engine was started by one of the original folks behind the old Hooniverse podcast, and that's why we used it. It has since kind of become abandoned where it's still up, it's still running, but it's not supported, and I don't know how long it's going to be there. So we have moved all of our past episodes over to Anchor, which is the, uh, podcasting arm of spotify and probably one of the most popular places for people to host podcasts the problem we have is that there is no way for us to change our shout engine rss feed to forward people to get new episodes from the anchor source so over the next month, we're going to probably upload this episode to both places: Anchor and Shout Engine. And Shout Engine's currently, or in the past, what I've used to uh, embed the player in all of our Hooniverse posts for the past six years or whatever. But this is probably the last month that those will be available. So if you listen through uh, Amazon or itunes or i guess it's apple Podcasts now we are going to make sure that those rss feeds forward to the right new location and all of our back catalog is all available at anchor and i'll put a link to our anchor page in the hooniverse post this month if you are one of the people who and i don't know how many there are who go directly to shout engine to listen to our stuff or use that RSS feed in some other player, you'll need to probably in the next month or two find a correct RSS feed. You can always reach out to us on Facebook if you can't find our new stuff, but we are not stopping episodes. If in a month or two from now you don't see any new ones, it's your RSS feed, not us not making new episodes. So that's a little technical update. Public service announcement. And we will get into our workshop update. I'm going to start because I realized in editing last month that I talked about every tiny little arcane thing I did to the CVT bike for 17 minutes. At the end of it, I was bored with it. So I'm going to simply say, yes, I've been working on it. Yeah, I'm currently working on intake and exhaust. So I'm getting parts in. I will share one short little story. I have, over the past couple of years, gotten really, really sick of dealing directly with uh, Chinese vendors on Amazon or eBay. Yes, a lot of the stuff is manufactured in Asia, and I get that. The problem is I've had some really bad experiences in shipping times and customer service dealing directly with Chinese vendors from across the ocean. So lately, when I go out to eBay, I've been using Search North America locations only. And I needed to get a intake. I needed a 45 degree angle pipe. So I ordered it thinking I was ordering it from someone in Columbus, Ohio. I should have been aware that it said the shipping window was five to 15 days. But I thought maybe this is somebody who does it part time. They get busy. They go out of town. They're semi-retired. I thought that was just somebody building in some time for slow mail or whatever. Well, I found out there's a company called Ding Hong. Then they are a authorized, quote unquote, shipping partner for the U.S. Postal Service. And they have locations. I know there's one in California. There's one, I think, in Georgia. There's one in Ohio they allow domestic Chinese vendors to select one of their distribution points and list that on eBay as the parts location. So when you order it, it ships from China to one of these locations. They slap a domestic shipping label on it, and they send it out from there. They're not the eBay vendor. If you have a problem and you need, you know, it's defective, it breaks, or whatever... Ding Hong in the United States are not the people you're going to deal with. You're still going to deal with the vendor in China. But they are masquerading as a domestic distributor here in the United States. They don't have stock here. It does take 15 days. That's always the longer part of that window, not the shorter. And if you look at the tracking on eBay, it simply says it's in Columbus, Ohio, Uh, given to a shipping partner, U.S. Postal Service is awaiting delivery of the item. And it'll say that for five to ten days while they ship it across the ocean. I assume they air freight because it is faster than some of the, the really slow Chinese delivery. But I'm just telling folks, if you're ordering stuff, be aware. Because I've now been waiting two weeks for this one really simple little 45 degree piece of exhaust pipe i should have dug further anyways i think today or tomorrow i should be getting the parts i need to start tack welding up my intake and i decide i'm just gonna take it to my local welding guy and have him weld it my welds turned out so bad last time (laughs) that's my workshop update uh garrett i know you've done some stuff what are you up to
1: yeah i have gotten some work done on the trail 70 it's actually it's coming along so the engine is mounted in it i have you know all the wheels and tires and suspension on it i have the headlight bucket the main wiring harness you know so really the only things that i'm missing are i need to get a gas tank still and the Original K-0 models have a plastic gas tank, which would be like 69, 70, and 71. And then in 72, I think, was the year that they switched to a, a steel gas tank. And there's, um, there are people that reproduce a plastic gas tank, but they're out of stock. And it's, I have no idea when they might be back in stock. The steel tanks are easier to get like a aftermarket replacement or like a sort of a replica steel tank. So I might just end up putting a steel gas tank in it, which is fine. It's not like you really see it, but it's just not what it would have had.
0: It's it's not like a regular (laughs) motorcycle where the tank is visible. It's down inside that stamped body. So it's, you
1: can't tell to look at it. Right. So I'll probably end up just putting a steel tank on it. Um, I just today got the seat cover in the mail, and I have a seat foam, so I just need to put that on the seat pan, and then it'll have a seat on it. Um, I need an engine cradle. Well, there's a couple things that I need that are hard to get, and I'm sort of just like waiting until they appear. One of them are the foot pegs, which are unique to the K zero model. And again, I could put later model foot pegs on it, but I'd really prefer not to. The K0 foot pegs are very distinctive. They have a sort of a round peg versus the um, later model ones, which are more of that U shape with the teeth on the top. So the K0 foot pegs are sort of hard to find. And when you can find them, people want absurd money for them, probably because a lot of them get bent and thrown away. So I still need a set of foot pegs. I need an, the engine cradle which a company also reproduces that it is also out of stock and it's hard to know when it might be back in stock. These are things that they have produced in China and, you know, presumably they buy a hundred at a time and there's probably lead times for manufacturing and shipping and distribution and all that. So I I've been looking for these parts now for a little while and they have not yet Become available. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Do you need a speedometer? I have a speedometer.
0: Okay. Because I actually, yes. way back when, bought a Trail 70 speedometer. Yeah.
1: I have the original. Okay. So, but. So I, I have one sitting
0: in a drawer somewhere that's never been used. So.
1: Mine is nice, but I washed a bunch of parts and I cleaned the outside of the speedometer and what I ended up using compressed air to blow the water off and I blew on the backside of the speedometer. And I think that like some of the lubricant and the speedo drive, like air blasted oil onto the inside of the glass of the speedometer, and they're not easy to take apart. It actually has, like, a stamped, pressed-on stainless cap, and you have to sort of carefully pry that stainless cap off so you can disassemble the speedometer. So I'm going to end up having to do that because I don't want to look at oil splash on the inside of the glass. And so I think while I'm in there, I'm going to just put a new vinyl decal over the um, Speedo because it's nice but it is slightly faded um, so I'll probably put a new gauge face while well, I'm in there.
0: I will tell you the one manufacturing defect on my Can-Am Spider that I've had since 2013 is they have a piece of plexiglass in front of the instruments mm-hmm. and I guess when it was assembled some kind of glue, solvent, lubricant something there was a little drip that ran down the back of it no oh, and yeah. you can't see it unless the sun is at the right angle if the mm-hmm. sun hits it directly from the side you can just see the outline of where this little residue of some kind of liquid is on the inside and it's all glued together so there's no way to get in there Brain. and i only notice it a couple times a year it's got to be just the right position of
1: the sun but when it hits it i'm like
0: oh that drives me crazy
1: yeah So this Trail 70, though, I will say is turning out remarkably well. Because remember, I had all the original hardware zinc plated. And I mean, all the way down to if you take apart the wheels, the brake drums are held together with two springs. And I had those springs zinc plated. I had the brake cam zinc plated. All the little brake aren't like all these little details are just like they look brand new. I mean, It's probably one of the nicer CT restorations I think I've seen around. So I'm pretty excited about how it's turning out. It's very detailed. It's just turning out really high quality. I'm intending to keep this. So it's, uh, you know, I'm not building it to try and. You're not going to try and sell it for 12 grand on uh, bring a trailer? Well, yeah. And so we should talk about that because what? So. Uh 929 on Bring a Trailer, a I think it was a 70 or maybe a 71 um CT70 sold for $8,350. <laughs> and it's also it's not like a completely original. So it has like an aftermarket cylinder on it. It's an 88cc kit. And I don't know if that really helps or hurts the value or doesn't really do anything to the value. The thing that drives me crazy about it is the cylinder is silver, and it's not black. Like, if you're going to put a cylinder on, like, paint it black like the original one had. So at least it looked original, I think.
0: What gets me is, have you seen there's a certain factory that makes a 140cc horizontal version of this? Yeah. And it has cooling fins that go the wrong way. Uh Uh-huh. The cooling fins don't go front to back on the bike with the airflow they go around the cylinder like as if it was a vertical cylinder yeah. and it looks really really wrong when you look mm-hmm. at i realize it probably doesn't make any difference in cooling they're not that highly stressed that it would be that big a deal but they look odd and wrong it would i yeah. couldn't have that on my bike
1: so this one this hold on bring a trailer it is it's Obviously, it's very nice CT-70, but there's little details on it. Like one of the side covers has like profound gouging <laughs> on it, which is displayed in the pictures. And there's um, some other hardware that's just like it looks like it probably was like clean original hardware that got reused. So it's like, you know, not perfect. And so like it the, the thing definitely doesn't deserve any any judgment it's a nice motorcycle but just that it's not perfect yet it still is an eighty three hundred dollar trail 70 is insane
2: i think it's a combination of a lot of people didn't spend money with covid yeah and it was something they had as a kid or wanted as a kid and now that they're sitting on a pile of cash they're like Okay. And except it's not one person. it's like 10 people. Yeah. And, you know, and then you get into the willy swinging, willy measuring contest of, you know, well, I, you know, like where, and it's not just that it's a lot of, a lot of crazy things. It's like, well, I paid more than this. So I'm better than you. You know, yeah. I'm like, no, you're just a fool in your money. <laughs> I forget. I think it was on the Hemmings
0: auction site, uh, Volkswagen type 181, the thing. That was only sold in the United States for two years. Mm -hmm. They have one that is remarkable. It's got like seven hundred miles on it. It still has the original tires on it. I mean, it's exceptional. But bidding is up to like thirty-six thousand dollars, and it hasn't hit reserve. Well, because one eighty ones were admittedly kind of crap. I mean, they were popular at the time. It's it's,
2: it it's the Jeep CJ three of Volkswagen. Yeah,
0: Yeah, but I mean, they rusted terribly. They had that, you know, anemic 1600 engine on it. They maybe made, I think they were rated at 46 horsepower. The windows, they leaked, you know, I appreciate the fact that it's literally the kind of, you know, covered in dust hasn't been run in 25 years. Right now, values on collectible vehicles is just insane. And it surprises me so much because economically things are kind of iffy looking going forward. Yeah.
1: And that's like kind of perplexing to me that some of these things are selling for so much money, but
2: I don't know. It's kind of weird. I'd be interested to see if there's a purchasing, a, a, a geographic purchasing geo around this of say 40 to 70 miles around the bay area well from you know san jose to san francisco and if it's just all kinds of people working in the tech industry who you know they're sitting on a lot of stock options or they're just bonus money or whatever and they're just like all right gotta spend money on something
1: with how much this trail 70 is sold for i'm like really tempted to tri- like put mine when it's done on bring a trailer because i mean i like it and it's cool but <laughs>
2: yeah i mean if someone's gonna give you I 10 like grand it. for
1: it you know <laughs> yeah i mean if i could get seven thousand for mine like or nice even nice really, like less than yeah seriously because <laughs> like it even at like eight thousand dollars you're approaching a v4 tawano you're My, not approaching you're there yeah
2: for like a 10 to 12 model you're you're there right eight eight grand 8500 you get a nice one yeah for, for that kind of price yeah exactly in place of a trail 70 <laughs> <laughs> i mean nostalgia pulls a lot of heartstrings but it doesn't pull my you know
1: <sighs> yeah i mean like i said it's cool and all and i want it but that's a lot of money for a trail 70
2: which speaking of Non, non-motorcycle related, but uh, heartstring, or sorry, nostalgia related, and I'll, I'll I'll do this one quickly. For my birthday last month, I talked to Ford, and they really weren't, they were done loaning them out, but they did me a favor, which is interesting, considering I don't always give the nicest views to Fords, but whatever. Um, so I had a Mustang GT500 for a week. Wow. Yes, all 760 horsepower. Ooh. Bright yellow, full carbon fiber. So the fifteen thousand dollar carbon fiber wheels, the carbon fiber wing out the back, and the hood vent on uh, is carbon fiber. You know, just it was it was nice. Ninety six thousand oh, dollars, nice man. Wow. Um, but again, you know, eighteen thousand dollars of that's the carbon package. It's about seventy one, seventy two thousand dollars. But so, anyways, point being, I've owned three reasonably fast Mustangs in my life. My ninety, my eighty three GT. Which actually was in a magazine, my 92 Notchback LX, and then the 95 GT I had that was supercharged, well over 500 horsepower, um, made like 475 the tire. Driving yeah. the Mustang was great because it literally is the nicest Mustang I've ever driven. It was, you could drive it and it was like nice and quiet and rode reasonably well. And then you turn the knob, and you flip a switch, and then it's on full aggro mode where, you know, Everyone knows you're there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, bangs, pops. In fact, going up Woodward and then turning a corner, going somewhere right on the corner is the Detroit Ducati dealership. And I happened to bang about two downshifts going around this kind of corner and uh, popped nicely. And so everybody at the Ducati dealership standing outside just kind of kind of like turned immediately to see what that yeah. was as I went by. So it was kind of funny. So somewhat motorcycle related kind of. But so pulling at the heartstrings. What the, the point being is. One of the last days I had it, I was out Sunday drive out in the middle of nowhere and enjoying myself, but then realizing I've had this experience before. I've had it multiple times and as much as I like that Mustang, I don't need it. Like yeah. I, I have no desire to own, e- even if I had the means to afford a hundred thousand dollar car like that, I wouldn't want it because I've already had that type of experience. So that nostalgia thing just, mm-hmm. I now, someone throws an RZ500 in front of me, okay, maybe, but it might be that same thing of, like, if I get to ride it for a couple hours ago, okay, yeah, that was good enough, and then move on. So, anyways, so just related to that. That, that yeah. just reminded me of well, that. that was so. uh,
1: Borrowing a GT500 for a week, that sounds like it would be pretty excellent.
2: Yeah, I only spent $100 on, no, well, $120 on gas in it, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it was getting about twelve. <laughs> Well, it, it it actually got like 18 on the highway, but, you know, I wasn't exactly gentle all the time with the throttle, but. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, speaking of it's too expensive, but I want it a gentleman I know who is a bull taco collector who I've corresponded with a number of times online and he's helped me out with some stuff. I helped him out with some stuff. Uh, he has a bull taco streaker for sale. One of 28 in the United States. In 1978, they were going to bring in 100. They got 28 of them before the EPA said, no, no, you don't get to do that. I think it was how many they imported before January 1st. Those of you who don't know, I have a long history with this motorcycle. 11 or 12 years ago, whenever it was, I guess 11 years ago. Uh, One of the first articles I wrote for Hooniverse, they did a series called My Eleanor, and all the staff members wrote about the vehicle that was the one they always wanted that they'd never gotten. And I wrote about the Streaker, because I almost bought one when I was in the Army. One of the last ones new in a dealership was in Kent, Washington, and they said they would sell it to me for (laughs) $1,200. I didn't have a garage. It was going to have to live in a parking lot on post. I thought that's not good transportation and not fair to something that rare. And it's really good that I didn't because I didn't know at the time that there were some issues with them that needed to be corrected before they would run reliably without blowing up the engine. So over the years, there's been three or four times that I have had one that I have heard about or known about for sale. The price on them has steadily gone up from fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred to forty five hundred. This one is being offered for sixty seven hundred dollars. And in the COVID environment, I think that's a fair price. If you look at inflation over the years, it's really not a whole lot different than some of the ones that I was looking at twenty-five or fifteen years ago, adjusted for inflation. It's not too much, and this is literally been judged 99.5 out of 100 by the Classic Motorcycle Association, Classic Motorcycle Club, whatever it is. But anyways, people whose job it is to know classic motorcycles have said this is pretty much as perfect as they get. It's got like 179 miles on it. There's a part of me that's saying this is your last chance to fulfill a bucket list item and the other part of me is like, this would be no different than buying a $6,700 rare coin. You know, it's like, it's not transportation. The guy who's selling it, he said, in the end, it's just a man toy. And I was like, yeah, you're kind of right about that. So I'm I'm not in a position to do anything
1: about it yet again. But there's a little bit of hiney kicking. That one is exceptional. <laughs> yeah. From the think- picture, it looks...
2: That's one that's, it's so nice and it's been, you know, obviously it's essentially perfect. Um, You'd almost be afraid to ride it in fear of just even like a little road chip or something because it's factory fresh looking.
0: Exactly. For that kind of money, I could really have something as cool, more powerful, more roadworthy, and not so rare that if I broke it or hurt it or scraped it up down the road, I would be heartbroken and i would be doing a
1: disservice to history so what's the displacement is it like a 200 or 125 125 yeah
0: 10 horsepower yeah in fact that's what i named the article i wrote on hooniverse was 10 horsepower and three moving parts so that's not going to happen and i wish it would but it's probably better that it doesn't well shall we move on to our our topic for this month that we have promised our listeners
1: I suppose we shall.
0: Which is New Bikes for 2022. This is our not always annual new bike episode where we look at what's new for the year. And there's a lot for 2022. Uh, A lot that has already been announced. Some that we know are coming. It used to be that you waited for ICMA and everything got revealed at the Tokyo Motor Show or ICMA or... Going way back, the Earl's Court Show. I forget what other ones are around. In the COVID environment that's still hanging around, getting a whole bunch of people from around the world to stand very close to each other and look at a motorcycle evidently isn't a thing. There is going to be an ICMA this fall, but a lot of the manufacturers have basically said they're not going to be displaying there, and they're definitely not doing their big reveals there. So Triumph... Moto Guzzi, Kawasaki have announced new models already uh some revised and somewhat new models are also being announced let's jump in our list uh first the Triumph Speed Triple 1200 RR and I normally don't make references that allude to sex When I'm talking about
1: motorcycles, (laughs) this is sex on two wheels. It really really is. is. It actually kind of has the super Veloce appearance in the front.
2: Mm -hmm. uh, With the the round headlight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the super Veloce is an incredible motorcycle. Unfortunately, I'll never be able to ride or afford one. But um, the Speed Triple 1200 just looks incredible. It really does.
0: I have to say, if you look at the rest of the bike. Other than the fairing in the headlight, the bike itself is very different lines than the Super Veloce. Mm-hmm. They both do have trellis tube frames and kind of a similar fairing. I couldn't tell you which one I like better. Mm-hmm. The 1200RR definitely looks more aggressive in a street fighter kind of way. Right. It just looks less elegant but more mean. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the single sided rear swing arm is a pretty neat feature. And I imagine with some non-Euro exhaust, it would probably kind of enhance that back end a little bit more to where you could see a little bit more of that wheel. Because it looks like it's got forged wheels on it. Um, 177 horsepower claimed, Yep, which seems adequate. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about how much torque it has and sort of where that torque range is because it's a really large displacement engine. I sort of wonder how it compares to, say, like the Tuano's power plant, In terms of, you know, low-end power, because a Tuano, now they're, what, 175, so right in the ballpark of this, but... So,
2: according to what I'm looking at here, 177.5 horsepower at 10,750, 92 foot-pounds at 9,000.
1: That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of torque, and also, it's not a really high-rpm motorcycle. I mean... 10,000 RPMs in this sort of world is not that significant. It's, you know, relatively low. Yeah.
0: I am curious how much is new and unique to this engine. Mm Mm-hmm. The Tiger 1200 and the... What is so it? The,
2: the engine the engine will be the same as the, the Super Naked Street Triple. Um, obviously, the fairing, the clip-ons. I forget if they tweak the the steering geometry, but the engine is essentially the same. I think for the 1200 Tiger, it's that engine. It's just tuned differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've released Born Stroke on this yet, but yes, I'm... They did. Hold on yeah, so ninety ninety millimeter bore, sixty point eight millimeter stroke. Um four hundred
1: and thirty-nine pounds wet weight. Uh, is, I need to see that verified. Yeah. If that's <laughs> you know, true. That's a very light motorcycle. If, if
0: that's if that's truly wet and not oil but no gas. Right. That's that's
2: impressive. It is. Um although based off of the I I don't know if anyone's really ridden it ridden it yet or did they do a track day but not on the street or something like that. Um, but I know the initial reviews were that they kind of messed up the suspension tuning and that it was a little um, rough for riding on the street. Just the regular naked version, not even the this uh, fared version. So I don't know if they were able to tweak that suspension any. As cool as
0: this is, I have no desire to ride this because it looks like it is a really extreme riding position. It kind of reminds me of the, the BMW R9T racer,
2: mm-hmm. which was
0: absolutely gorgeous and looked so cool, but ended up being discontinued because nobody wanted to ride the thing. I mean, that the, your butt's so high, you, the grips are so low, your feet are tucked up so much that you're just you can't ride at any distance, so.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's.
0: And that's, also, I I I don't know. Have they announced pricing on that? Because it's got to be. Get,
2: um, getting I up think there. I think it's about twenty grand. Yeah. Because um, yeah. because the regular speed
1: triples like eighteen five. Yeah, the MSRP is listed at twenty nine fifty, so twenty one thousand. Yeah. So yeah. I thought it was about well, once you get over twenty.
0: It's all academic, because I'm never going to want to spend that kind of money on a <laughs> Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, yeah $29,750, yep.
0: Triumph has done kind of a semi-reveal of another bike, the Tiger 660 Sport, which is basically the Trident that came out last year with a sport fairing on it. It's kind of mm-hmm. analogous to the difference between the Yamaha M- MTs and the and the, the Tracer the GT, GT and the GT models right it's it's the same bike with a fairing unfortunately the only pictures they show of it have Triumph decals stuck all over the bodywork i'm not sure i get why they, they would have high resolution pictures but show you everything except what the paint job is going to be but um is this a
1: yamaha engine
0: no it's no it's, it's their own it's the same thing as the the six sixty. Looking,
1: looking at the side of the engine, it looks so much like a CP two engine.
0: Yeah, know. basically a derivative of the old Daytona 675, yeah. 675 engine, 675 yeah. engine oh, that really? they retuned for make it a little more beginner friendly, user friendly, not as intimidating to ride. Yep, it is what it is. I'm I'm interested to hear what people say about it. Whether it has adjustable windscreen, whether it comes with cruise control, because the Trident doesn't, mm-hmm. and it's not even available for any other lower-end bikes. You can't get it for the Street Twin. You can't get it on the Trident. If you want that, you buy one of their more expensive ones. There's not, I'm going to buy the cheap one and spend a couple hundred dollars and upgrade to get cruise control. So
1: I feel like cruise control nowadays should especially with motorcycles having electronic throttles that should just be kind of standard equipment Mm -hmm. that might be controversial to say but it's sort of like power windows in a car you just expect that even the base model nowadays is like should have power windows and i it's sort of like that with me and cruise control i just think it's, it's we're at a point now where it should just be there
0: Yeah, and speaking of bikes that have gained cruise control, Suzuki has announced the 2022 GSX-S1000GT, which is similar to, based on, but a derivative of their existing GSX-1000S. It has a bigger fairing. It has... Uh, hard bags available. They have a what's called the plus version. You can get hard bags for it stock. It has up and down quick shifter. It has a new uh, TFT dash. It has Bluetooth connectivity to your phone and your helmet communicator. It has cruise control. To
2: me, it's very impressive. The the, the best thing, you know what the best thing about riding that bike would be? The up and down quick shifter. No, you don't have to look at the front end of
1: it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> the best view is well, you're it's from behind the it. screen. I yes. can pretty much guarantee that.
2: <laughs> it, it
1: is horrendous.
0: Yeah, I don't find it horrendous. I really don't. You know, it's kind of like the Ninja One Thousand SX
1: and the R Seven made sweet I was love to each other. Just going to say that. Yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's. I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty grotesque. I think the MT-10 looks exceptionally beautiful compared to this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, quick shifters on sport tours would be such a cool f- feature because y- y- there's something that just feels so sporty when you're using a quick shifter, even if you're not being sporty, but just going through gears effortlessly and not using a clutch up and down just makes it feel like it's like a formula one card, but like it just feels and sounds so cool.
0: Well, and I think even if you're just traipsing around doing touring stuff, it would be very convenient yeah, to not have to work the clutch. You Especially
1: know. with rev matching down shifts where you, um, like, it just feels really smooth. You can be in that next gear, and it, like, takes all of that thought out of it. And I think it's pretty cool that, you know, that's sort of a feature now on these bikes.
0: I think one oversight is that it does not have an adjustable wind she- windscreen. Yeah. it It really needs to have an adjustable windscreen, yeah. preferably a motorized adjustable windscreen, I did I wouldn't have thought that except having ridden my wife's Can Am spider that has a big windscreen screen that is dramatically adjustable. You can lower it enough that you get that panoramic view of not having the windscreen in your field of vision. And when you get really sick of the buffeting at 70 or 80 miles an hour, or you're in the rain You can put that windshield up and it makes such a difference in your comfort level. Mm -hmm. They do offer a larger touring screen, which is kind of similar, but has kind of a lip to it. It flips up. I'm interested to see how reviewers like that and what they think. I personally think the side view of it looks a whole lot better than the outgoing S models that always looked like they were kind of melting in the sun. (laughs) they always kind of looked like they were drooping a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I kind of like the angles, even though it really does look an awful lot like a Ninja 1000. Yeah. Uh, Regular handlebar clamps and a tubular bar. They're fairly high. And if you don't like them, you can change them to some extent.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do you know what the fuel tank capacity is on it?
0: I I, want to say the range is 200 and... Twenty, two hundred and thirty, something like that not not outrageous it's not like a paris dakar tank but it's enough that you're going to want to get off the bike <laughs> yeah and you'll you you'll be able to find a gas station pretty much anywhere you go in the states so mm-hmm. uh another fared sport touring bike with that seems to be the the theme this year is everybody is coming out with sporty fared motorcycles
1: yeah, maybe the adventure thing was just uh short-lived. That seemed to be like the last couple of years it was just all adventure.
0: I'm not sure it's that or just that everybody has done their adventure thing. Yeah. And they're kind of getting some mileage out of them. So it's like, well, let's do something else in the meantime. Uh but probably the biggest news and the most completely new bike in this list. Moto Guzzi has revealed The V1000 Mandelo, or V100 Mandelo. Completely new engine. First water-cooled goozy. Instead of having the exhaust coming out the front and the carbs on the back like it has always had, this one, the carbs come out of the top and go under the tank, and the exhaust is opposite that coming out the side of the engine. Uh... I've heard some people online who really don't like the looks, who think it looks a little bit too much like a CX five hundred Turbo. It looks very eighties. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can see it, but I don't think that's in a bad way. There's two different versions: one that's traditional, goozy red, like a uh, you know the old Le Mans and Manzas and that, and they also have one that is red and silver. Green and silver. or gr- Thank you. Green and silver, which I find really nice. hmm I would say the fairing itself with the wraparound headlight does look a little dated. I mean, because everything now is the projector dual headlights. Yeah. I don't think it looks bad, though.
1: I think it looks really handsome myself. And I really like the gold-colored wheels, that kind of yeah. like soft gold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the red and the gold, more so than the the green, it looks, I guess, a little 80s, but it's sort of in a good way, I think. Yeah, I, I really like this green and silver uh, with the yeah. gold wheels. I'm
2: immediately drawn to that. I mean, yes, the red pops um, right. and yes, gold gold slash bronze wheels on red will always look good, especially, so, you know. Especially from an '80s, you know, someone who grew up in the '80s, just because that's was every, you know, Italian supercar was right. red with gold wheels. So yeah. yes, that I'm drawn to that. But uh, the headlight, yeah, you know, I could take it or leave it. But the rest of it, I I don't mind at
1: all. Yeah. Um. So this is their first water cooled. Yeah. Interesting. You know, t- to be completely honest, I don't think. I have ever heard a Moto Guzzi run. No, they sound good. Do they? Yeah.
0: I'm not sure I've ever ridden one, but I've ridden with people who have them and have always liked them. I mean, Mm -hmm. some
2: more than others. Is it a shaft drive? Yes. Mm -hmm. Shaft drive. Oh Well, well, the old ones were. I think this one is, too. Is this hard to say for sure
1: yeah yeah it's,
2: it's gotta be yeah it's a shaft drive uh yes it is because if you look at one that's got a uh, a left hand side picture it's a shaft drive
0: yeah and i'm guessing it probably has the parallelogram linkage like goozies and bmws have had for a while mm-hmm. so you don't get the shaft jacking when you twist the throttle on and off so mm-hmm. i i would have to give thumbs up to that one i i think it's a need yep. like I'm not sure I would be the guy who would buy a brand new Gucci engine the first year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's a that's a very fair point.
0: Sticking with the theme of sport touring versions and as you were saying getting away from adventure bikes, Honda is going to at some point it hasn't been officially revealed but There's been a lot of chatter about what is tentatively being called the Honda NT 1100, which is going to be a Africa twin engine, kind of an upright sport touring fairing on almost kind of not really adventure, not really supermoto, but tall chassis.
1: Yeah. It almost is like a commuter style, but not it's kind of in between like a uh, uh one of the, the KTM the GT what is it the um the Super Duke GT yeah Super Super Duke GT kind of looking thing. Well, there's, but... there's been
0: a lot of renderings of people guessing what it's gonna look mm. like. Honda has not released anything yet, so everything we've seen is people's guess about what it's gonna. Oh, be. I see. They're all pretty close to each other. <laughs> There's yeah. not a lot of difference. Some of them have a little bit more of like the cross tour VFR influence, and some of them look a little more slabby and angular, but they're all pretty close. And considering they've got the Africa Twin and the 1100 Rebel, smaller bikes like the CB500X, the NC750X, this just kind of makes sense.
1: Is it any different than any 1100cc uh, Honda? Like like an Africa Twin, for instance, is, is this really any different? Does this fill a hole that the Africa Twin didn't?
0: If you like kind of a tall, comfortable bike with a relaxed riding position, you want some wind protection, but you're not going to take it off-road, why not go with 17-inch tires, Street rubber on it, uh, a little bit more fairing, low exhaust, so you can put some saddlebags on it easier. Uh, our friend Jimbo, who we've had on the show, has a Africa Twin DCT, and as he talked about, he really liked it so much more than he expected to. And that's not even the newest version of the motor. They've done a lot of improvements to both the power and the transmission programming since then. Uh, if you could get this with a DCT, I could yeah. see where that could be really
2: a great sport touring bike. Yeah, think think of it as the automotive equivalent of a Honda CRV. That's fair. You know, it's it's, it's a, you know all wheel drive, four wheel drive, whatever, but it's not something that's ever going to really see the dirt. But you want something that's comfortable, easy, easy to live with, without any other pretensions, and you can go and you can do six, seven hundred miles in a day if you wanted to, or you mm-hmm. could just you know, load it up and run around town, it'll it'll get it done.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I,
0: I don't know anybody who's ridden an Africa Twin and said they didn't like the engine. Yeah. I I think it's a no-brainer because Honda needs some new stuff. Mm-hmm. They need to generate some interest. They're supposedly going to be a 750 Africa Twin that's supposedly a lot lighter than the 1100 for people who want to do more dirt stuff. Mm-hmm. They probably got feedback from people with the 1100 going, yeah, it's a nice big bike, but it's a handful in the dirt. So, they're like, okay, if you want a nice big bike, but you're not going to do the dirt stuff, why don't we go full boat on a street bike? If you do like the dual sport stuff, let us give you a smaller version. (laughs) And from what I've read, the 750 is not going to be the NC750 – Almost horizontal twin. It's going to be something that's going to look upright. It, so it's going to be all new. So.
1: It's it,
2: it's interesting that the quote unquote middleweight ADV bikes, off road bikes, whatever you want to call them, are what everyone's coming back to. In that ten years ago, that was the big bore section, the sort of eight hundred to a thousand cc. Like you know, yeah, that was a KTM big had the KTM had the eight eight ninety and nine ninety or mm-hmm. 950, 990 adventures, and now they're kind of circling back to that with uh, with the 890 again, and BMWs. Well, the the 850 GS isn't exactly a good bike, but um, Yamaha's doing it. Honda appears to be doing. You know, it's like everyone's kind of coming back to that size. It's like it's the ideal. Well, especially now that these bikes are making 100, 100 horsepower, right. 110 horsepower at that level, um, and I think it's so much lighter. You know, under 500 pounds, it's it's kind of like perf- perfect the,
1: for that. Bigger displacement bikes, people figured out, like, they're probably just fine for commuting and riding, like, on the highway. But, like, actually going off-road, they're just so powerful. They're so large, so heavy. So heavy, yeah. But now the lower weight ones or the lower displacement ones are still, like, pretty darn powerful but lighter and are probably just a little bit better suited for what Mm -hmm. some people intended to do. Which was to, you know, kind of do some more dual sport style riding. So,
0: okay, we'll move on to our next one, which is a bike that has been officially introduced in Europe, but as we record this, has not been officially revealed for the North American market. Kawasaki is dragging their heels a little bit, they've got several waves of reveals. And what, how they usually do it is the things that are basically last year's bike with new graphics come out first, then they introduce things that are lightly modified, and then their real showstoppers come out last. So I don't know how much this is going to be a showstopper because we've already seen it, but the Z650 RS, which is basically the same thing as the Z650 with retro body work on it has been released. I don't know how much different there's going to be for North American market, but I'm guessing
1: not a lot. <laughs> um, so this is sort of like a Yamaha XS 700 type of thing. Yeah, but with all the ugly sucked out. Of yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like it. I don't super love it. There are a couple little things that visually bug me about it. Uh, One of it is it's got this really odd notch in the bottom of the tank where the tank, where the side cover comes into the tank. The side cover like crawls up the side of the tank just maybe a half inch. So there's not a nice character line in there, which is odd. And then to make it worse, they put a big silver, I think what's supposed to look like an airbox in there like it's just this big silver plate on the side of it to me it looks totally out of place uh, it doesn't look retro it doesn't look modern it just looks like uh, i don't know what they were thinking
2: styling wise my issues with that are, are twofold one the forks on that thing look way too skinny they look like they're out of 1983. Yeah, yeah that's um, true. And then in the back end, the gap between the the seat or the bottom of the fender there and then the top of the wheel. I mean, like you could ride a
1: CT-70 through there. Yeah. And <laughs> even mean, you like know there's saying. a picture of it where somebody is sitting on this seat and the gap is still huge. Like it doesn't even really change if a passenger is on it. It's still a huge gap.
0: Well, the. The other thing that I don't like is that it they kept the spaghetti exhaust from the Z650, which on the 650 Ninja, when you got a fairing over, it doesn't matter what it, the exhaust looks like. Mm-hmm. On the Z, that's kind of, you know, uh, mecha looking enough that uh, it kind of looked cool and having the really short, stubby, truncated muffler that was stubby and tucked under the engine looked good on the Z because it looked like a transforming robot anyways on this I think it's totally out of character yeah I would they've already got the kind of a gull arm swing arm so there'd be no reason why they couldn't use straight pipes bring it back and have a nice long tapered reverse megaphone looking vintage looking exhaust on it
1: some like Royal Enfield style exhaust, just two pipes on either side of the swing arm, would mm-hmm. make it look a lot better. It would have looked
0: great. And they could have even done the 650 Vulcan S pipes. Now, that still had a pretty stubby exhaust on it, but at least it had straight pipes coming down off the front of the engine, which I think would have helped.
1: Yeah. This sort of just seems like something where they wanted to do it inexpensively, and they cut a bunch of corners, yeah. like wanted a yeah. new model, wanted something retro, but just didn't want to go all the way with it.
0: yeah, it's literally a z six fifty with cheaper suspension and a different bodywork perched on top of it. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping that it would be more than that, yeah the budget the budget for
2: that like- was was four people, five days, and three pizzas. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so
1: the MSRP is listed as, well, basically nine thousand dollars, which yeah. seems like a lot.
0: That's, yeah. I, yeah. No, no. Considering how much they charge for the W800 <laughs> compared to the Royal Enfield 650. Now, probably better build quality overall, but it had a lousy suspension. It was heavier. It wasn't any more powerful. And it was a whole lot like um like fifty percent more money, so mm-hmm. I I think Kawasaki's done some really good bargains last couple of years. They've also really overpriced some of their stuff.
2: I guess mm-hmm. they got to pay Jonathan's Rays Championship bonus money somehow, and this <laughs> is how they're doing it. <laughs> well, if we stay with Kawasaki, there is the quote unquote redesigned KLR six hundred and fifty. <laughs> I that's a legitimately redesigned bike. There's, is it? Well, it's because because. Because I watched a couple reviews of it, and it seemed like it's essentially the same bike except they decided to fuel inject put a fuel injection system on the on the same thing.
1: Well, they had to
2: fuel inject
1: it. Well, they did, yes. But but so tell me, is this a different chassis and overall I, architecture? Yeah, yeah, than Yes, it is. It's a is, new is it? okay. it's a
0: new frame. It doesn't have the removable rear subframe anymore. Oh, they well. put a bigger, heavier rear subframe on it. Uh, they basically kept the same motor. A lot of the parts are different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of the stuff they should have improved, like the brakes, they didn't. Yeah. But they also kind of kept it what KLR fans like about it. I don't fault them for how they did it. Yeah. And, you know, because a lot of people were thinking it was going to have the 650 twin that was going to make it so much heavier, so much wider. I forget who did the, a video review of it, but they said Kawasaki did extensive test marketing And KLR people said, don't change the bike. I just want this, this, and this. So they kind of tried to give people who were already in the market for a KLR or wanted to replace their old one a reason to do that.
2: I I spent some time on a KLR back in 2007. I rode it around the Bay Area and down to uh, Laguna Seca and back for MotoGP. It's not a bad bike. Um, I had trouble with a 32-inch seam of putting my leg over the over the seat to to get on it, and with uh, I think I had about forty forty-five pounds worth of gear on the back of it, um, much over eighty. Uh, the front end got a little light. Wait, it'll <laughs> As, be eighty. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It was about topped out at eighty. Wow. Um, and. That bike trying to chase down a bunch of sport bikes as we rode uh, <laughs> what is that, nine from Alice's down to Santa Cruz, I think, right? Um, or whatever that is down that way. It was it was it was interesting. Um But I mean I think I put like you know, I, I rode it like three hundred miles and I might have put a tank of gas in it. <laughs> yeah. you know, so there is that to it. So um but yeah, it's it was an interesting bike.
0: It also does have LED headlight. Uh yep. the fairing is new on it. And they also have a a traveler package which is hard bags, tail trunk and driving lights and a and a fairing guard. It also has like really weird digital camo paint that I just really dislike, but okay. <laughs> but the Standard model sixty six ninety nine seventy three ninety nine for the traveler with all the touring gear on it. Yeah. Now that That's true. is Kawasaki selling things as
1: a good yeah. deal. Yeah. You're getting your money's That's worth. That's a lot for the money. Especially considering the bike will cost you almost $0 for the rest <laughs> right. of your life.
0: And when you sell it, <laughs> it's ride. going to have some resale value, unlike yeah, a yeah. lot of Japanese bikes. so
1: Yeah, so consider you could probably put 20,000 miles on one, and it'll cost you $3,000 to do Like by the time you're done with it. Like in terms of like what the value of the motorcycle would be worth at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like buying a new one. Yeah, it's a good value.
2: Yep. A couple new Yamahas that are pretty interesting, at least to me. So the Tracer 9 GT is sort of, I don't know, it comes to me, it it strikes me as the modern day um, FJR 11, 12, 1300. In that it's a a bike you can kind of sport ride. You can definitely sport tour. You can tour you just use it as an everyday runaround. just seems like a really good bike that's actually a t- 2021 that's out now right uh well all the first rides just came out on it okay. so i think it's a if it's either a late 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 21 or a very you know kind of early 22 release well kind of the same kind of the same thing as the R7 yeah
0: it came out kind of mid year
2: yeah and it just that, that's one of those bikes like if you had to have one bike that Tracer 9 GT, which is a all new chassis, a tweaked motor, like they, it's not just a an MT09 with a fairing on it. They actually did a lot of work to it. So really, it's not the cheapest thing in the world because I think that can get a little pricey, up in about fourteen grand. Um, but still, like if you had to have one bike to do basically everything, that would be for me it would be pretty close and well, okay. I admit that I like Yamahas, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Yamaha. So I'm, I'm a little
1: biased too, in that. I strongly considered an FJ09 when I was back looking at my FZ1, when I was looking at getting some sort of sport yep. touring motorcycle, I really looked at the FJ09s and um, you know, the, the three cylinder, the cross plane CP3 yep. engine is just a really neat engine and it's so versatile. And I think mm-hmm. that the, fj nine, you know Tracer nine, um, concept is really cool. I think that they're like a really lively engine and a lightweight package, and it sort of does everything like pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of FJO nine, I'll just mention this briefly that uh, my <laughs> my friend that had that fco nine back in the he, he sold it to another friend. Well, he was borrowing it the other day and came in to a corner a little too hot and and, uh, caught a slick patch on the ground and dumped it, slid it. He said that he was sitting in the road like he had sat up and he was still watching it slide down the road and he was just (laughs) like sitting there watching it slide and he said it went like another, by the time he got sat up, it slid about another hundred yards down the road. So it took a big slide.
0: Yeah. Did it take a big beating?
1: He got scuffed up a little bit. He's okay. okay. Um, the motorcycle had frame sliders on it. And I guess that uh, he was saying it'll cost more to replace his riding gear than it will okay. to fix the motorcycle.
0: Yeah.
1: It, just, it, was, it was very lucky the way that it slid and didn't really, it didn't scratch a frame. It didn't scratch any of the bodywork. Mainly just the frame slider and a you know handlebar end and
0: yeah it's always like the handlebar ends the mirrors stuff like yeah that. exactly uh Rider Magazine just on the two weeks ago uh named the Tracer Nine GT their motorcycle of the year and they had just had a chance to evaluate it prior to the voting so. With the with the demise of all the other publications, it's probably the only one left that actually does a motorcycle of the year competition. Uh, another bike that's kind of in that territory. It's actually a 2022, but one that's out already is the Indian Super Chief, which has a totally new frame on and everything. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch because none of us are super into cruisery V twins, but
1: it's a remarkable looking motorcycle. Uh, yeah. The one thing I love about Indians is the valve cover design that they have on their engines is really cool. I think those engines are really pretty.
0: I think it's inspired by the old flathead Indian engines. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah, think yeah, you're right.
0: They did the chief engine right when they came out. And I always thought it didn't have a chassis that looked as elegant and attractive. Mm-hmm. This one is an all tubular chassis that, actually fits the engine and fits the the era they're trying to portray quite nicely so there's a big empty triangle in the frame between the headstock and the gas tank i love it i know a lot of people love it it looks very vintage it drives some people so crazy that they think it looks unfinished or out of proportion uh We'll leave it up to listeners to decide what they think about it. But I did want to mention that because it is, it's is—it's technically a 2022, even though it's gotten a lot of press for a while now. Um, the last thing I was going to bring up is Ducati has this schedule of introducing all their new models. And they've given clues as to what they're going to release. But they're doing like one a week between now and November as of when we're recording this, the only one they've announced is the new Multistrada V2, which is basically the existing Multistrada. Mm. It has updates to the electronics. It's it's less changed, let's say, than either the GSX S1000 GT or the KLR. They both have more new things. They've just changed the name to V2 and given it, I think, basically, the electronic package that they've come up with for all of their other higher end bikes now migrate down to that. So, mm. the Desert X they've announced is going to be the last of these bikes. We've seen the Desert X concept, but that was an air cooled 1100 scrambler motor they've said the new one is going to be the liquid cooled motor that the new monster uses and the uh t- the old multistrada used it the 950 so that's coming i don't know but we may revisit this in a future episode once we know everything that's going to come out between now maybe sometime in the after the first of the year after the holidays we'll go back and look at some new bikes that we haven't heard about this time
2: We'll probably talk about it in the next episode when more people get to ride it, but there is a new RC390KTM that's interesting. Hopefully, this engine stays together. Um, and the <laughs> fact that they've showed off a potential, like for those, instead of having to go and buy one and then convert it to a race bike, selling it as a race bike for all the series that run these now. Um, with a little bit more of a tune that would actually have something like close to 52 or 55 horsepower. Um, so as someone who used to race and would love to go racing again, that'll never happen. That sounds very tasty (laughs) to me as a, you know, 320 pound bike, 340 pound bike with 50 horsepower. Yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun to ride.
0: That'd be a lot like some of the, uh, like a little Aprilia RS and some of the Mm -hmm. other 125 formula bikes that
2: are now gone, but, Yep. This is, it, you this know goes against it would race against the the Ninja Four Hundreds and yep. the Yamaha R three and stuff like Unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, I so. hate
0: to tell you this, but I've heard that it's the same motor. Yeah, new okay. chassis,
2: same motor. So, okay.
0: who knows? But evidently, who they've knows? done they've done a lot of improvements. They don't blow head gaskets the way they did. <laughs> uh,
1: you Not know. a plus. So,
0: okay. Well, as a reminder, going forward, you might need to find us if you lose us from your feed after this month, go to Hooniverse.com, click on podcasts. You can find a list of all of our episodes there. You can play them there and, uh, we will hopefully be getting all of the RSS feed technicalities out of the way. And wherever you get your podcast, you will continue to get them. But if you don't drop us a line on Facebook, contact me through Hooniverse and, uh, We will make sure we get you set up so you get new episodes going forward. You can look at pictures of everything we've talked about on Hooniverse.com as well. And you should listen to the other Hooniverse Podcast Network podcast, which is weekly, and that is Anything and Everything Off-Road. It's the the Off-The-Road Again podcast. I listen to them every week. I really enjoy it. Uh, And there are some rumors... Jeff Clucker may be resurrecting the Hooniverse podcast going forward. So he never listened to this podcast, so I can say anything I want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see you next month. So long, bye bye.